0: real men must get angry, and yet real men are not to be angry men. Then the greatest sin is hurting someone's feelings, because if I
1: am the supreme authority and you disagree with me, it it is akin to violating scripture, right? And so, but all of this comes out of a very low view of God.
0: The context is, it's the passage I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well then all of a sudden you get to the end of it, and he said, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, or oh, men of blood depart from me. They speak to you with malicious intent.
2: Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. Uh, well, happy end of November. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving break. I trust that you are encouraged today. And I trust that you are ready for a rather intense conversation on this particular podcast today that I am calling COVID and the right kind of anger. Uh, Hey, my name is Mitch Schultz, and I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Okay, hey, there's a topic for you, the gospel and the right kind of anger. Did you know that in the scripture, there is a call to be angry about some things? Uh, this uh, this particular podcast, uh, the, the idea comes out of a lot of personal reflection on my part. Um, as we've been weighing through political stuff, social justice, reaction to culture, reaction to... Uh, anti-Christian, you know, the pressure against the church. I I just find myself internally struggling uh, with this tension, really, of, uh, yeah, being loving, caring, understanding that people are evil because they're lost, and people are misguided because they're lost, and sin is a huge driver for why people do what they do. Uh, but is there, is there room somewhere in this where I'm allowed to be angry? Uh, that's what I've been struggling with. Um, and so that's the topic today. I, I found uh, or really sat down with two uh, really good friends of mine, Dan uh, Sams and Eric Anderson, uh, who are both you know quite strong in their perspective on a lot of things that's why I wanted both of them to be part of this uh, but this is going to be a fascinating look with, uh, with these two pastors and just talking about how, how can we appropriately respond uh, in anger and and out of a deep sense that God is just and that God is a, a God that will bring about judgment and the gospel also has this this huge piece of of wrath and justice uh, as as one side of it, or maybe even at the core of it. I mean, of course, the wrath of God fell upon Jesus. So we know uh, that there's a, a, a level of anger that God had towards evil and to place it all upon his son is just, oh, it's just a, an unbelievable thought. So we'll be talking about that. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and jump into this right here because I'm going to I'm going to start getting into a ranting and preaching mode, which you don't want. I'm sure you'd much prefer hearing from Pastor Eric and Pastor Dan. So let's jump into that right now. Okay, I have the privilege of having two people. I don't do this too often. I've got two others um, looking at me through the Zoom screen here, Dan Sams and Eric Anderson. And uh, we're going to be talking about a real tough subject today, but first of all, why don't you to start with you, Dan, introduce yourself to us, what sure. you do well, and where you are.
1: Sure. I am primarily a pastor. Uh, I, I plant house churches uh, in multiple places here in the U.S. and in Central America. Uh, I also am a theology professor. I do a number of other things to make money, (laughs) um, including marketing websites and things like that. Um, And I am uh, presently a PhD candidate as well in the process there. So um, theology... And uh, and pastoring is kind of what I love to do.
2: Yeah, and you take cigar boxes and you turn them into guitars.
1: I do um, <laughs> on occasion. I'll do that. So yeah, when when we're completely underground, I'll be able to uh, <laughs> I'll be able to provide worship instruments for, for the saints.
2: Yeah, and you yeah yeah you, you run uh, what's called uh, the underground seminary, which which I love. I love what you're doing there, um, Eric. Uh, what about you?
0: Uh, I am the, serve as the pastor of Life Spring Church in Crosby, Minnesota, which is a small town, uh, really in north central Minnesota, out uh, in the, I guess, the rural areas. Um, been here for 11 years and uh, was a youth pastor for seven years before that. So, um, yeah, our church is a Reformed, uh, Evangelical, and Baptistic, and uh, um, also uh, not only have, the, I have nine children, and my wife Miriam and I, uh, but also... Uh, I co-organize a network of reform, the reforming churches in Northeast Minnesota called The Common Slaves. And we meet together regularly. And we have a podcast now also called The Place for Truth. And we talk with older professors and pastors, the old guys, about current cultural issues. And so those are via Zoom meeting, and then we make that into a podcast. Those are, those are a blast. So anybody can participate. To, yeah, I love, yeah, love so. the
2: stuff that you both do. Um, yeah. Well, so, thank you so much for being part of this. Uh, it, I I have an interesting relationship with with each of you. We we know each other real well, but I've never no, met you. Um, I've I've known you <laughs> both for probably two two years for Dan, four or five years Eric. And yeah. um, I remember joking one time. I I don't know how tall you guys are, but because I always <laughs> look at you face, uh, you know, waist up. Um, but, uh, yeah, so let's, let's jump into this, uh, really interesting conversation. I, I think it's a needed conversation as, as we started out with prayer, I wanted it to be a, a gracious conversation, but still, uh, managed to, to make the, the point, a the title of this is the gospel and the right kind of anger. Um, and, and what I'm, what I'm interested in with this is, uh, and really it's in large part to observing how. Uh, we have been as Christians in in reacting to what's happening in culture, our reaction to uh, to the election, to politics, uh, social justice, uh, you know, tolerance, the whole e- uh, equality, equity thing. Um, I, I think we become gun shy, and and we need a, a good biblical theology on on anger that is appropriate, that is biblical. Um, Why do you, Dan, start with you, why do you think this conversation is needed?
1: Uh, Well, I would say there's a variety of things going on, uh, not the least of which is lack of uh, righteous anger related to bad doctrine and church discipline is killing evangelical churches. Mm. Uh, I was part of a church uh, where... Uh, the the leading pastors hired a man with a history of groping teenagers and sexually harassing women, um, and they played so soft with it, it allowed him to perpetrate further. Um, and I've noticed that there is a consistency or in the inconsistency that those churches that are weak in dealing with doctrine are also weak in dealing with discipline. Uh, they mm. will allow adulterers to go on in leadership positions. They will allow... Uh, bad doctrine—they'll—they'll they'll allow abuses to be covered up, and so this lack of righteous anger is—is uh, is causing deep problems. Um, scripture is very clear: we're supposed to fight for the truth. Uh, there are things we're supposed to hate. Um, there are times where even violence is necessary to defend the weak and rescue those being led away to slaughter. Um, and but somehow we have allowed a cultural understanding uh, of this kind of. New kind of Gnosticism that is soft and mystical, mm-hmm. and uh, ha- that's been allowed to infiltrate, and, and the result has been, of course, that our enemies have not ceased to be violent. Our enemies have not ceased to be belligerent, and the result is that the the, the church has struggled.
2: Yeah, I, I struggled with this a lot. Um, and again, I'm gonna I'll insert my thoughts here, but mainly I, I want to be more the moderator here and 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 guide the conversation. But when when there has been, I, I've struggled with this balance between uh, loving and responding graciously to the evil around us. Uh, but as that was, you know, as that was the posture of my heart, I, I kept asking myself, which is why I reached out to you guys, but what do I do with this anger I have towards the things that I, I see going on? So we're going we're to try to answer that. And hopefully at the end of this, uh, help people to to be able to live with that, you know, to be, to be loving, and because you are loving, because you believe in the gospel, there's an appropriate reaction to uh, the sin around us, whether it's cultural or even within the church. Dan, why do you believe this, or uh, Eric, why do you believe this conversation is needed? Where, where does it come, what, what part of your heart that, that does this emerge from?
0: Well, I, I think, you know, even Mitch, the term balance and counterbalance um, presumes that two things cannot be true at once. Mm. One, two things are true at once, and I think a good theology, a good study of Scripture, is there's a science to it. it. It it means that we hold doctrines that are all true at the same time. You know, God is totally sovereign; man is given the responsibility to obey God or not obey God. God is providential in all of His ways, and yet man is the secondary cause. Through our obedience or disobedience, we see god's secret will reveal or god's revealed will in effect and so i I think you know i made a statement to you that i think two two things are true at once real men must get angry and yet real men are not to be angry men what we've done for the last i mean we could say 50 years 100 years 150 years at least in the american context is we've made man uh, the arbiter of truth uh, and feelings uh, kind of the final idea of what truth looks like. We become humanistic. So basically, you know, God exists that you and I would 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 be happy. You know, mm-hmm. we call it moralistic therapeutic deism. I mean that's an oft-used term, but an appropriate term. But then within that, so then we have no idea what real justice looks like and what real holiness looks like. And yet people are our our hearts don't keep turning. We 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 become we're guilty before the Lord for not matching up to His holiness, and yet the standard keeps changing. So all we do is we're, we, we just redirect that anger, redirect that guilt into a self-hatred, into demanding appeasement, into expecting everybody else, expecting the government to take care of us. I mean, there's a number of other issues there. But what it comes down to is a complete effeminization of what manhood looks like.
2: Well, let me Um, let since since you're on, Dad, let me let me read you uh, let me read you what you wrote me, and then we're gonna we're gonna get into uh, also and we need to we need to get into uh, the theology of this, the biblical basis for this. But I I think this set up, and I love what you're saying that there there are things that are happening that have happened in culture. Um, In fact, I'd like to talk a little bit too about how social justice, the whole tolerance. Uh, movements and critical race, which you both, are I know, are are students of that, have studied that. But you you wrote this, and you you did quote part of this in an email to me. I think perhaps it is, it necessarily helps to direct us to the nature of manhood versus the, as as you just said, the nice guy image of today. Uh, Love this quote, real men get angry, real men are not angry men. Real men get angry at real injustice at others, not merely because they are inconvenienced. Real men understand and accept that they will be accused of being mean-spirited. Real men learn when to converse, when to confront, and when to keep mouths shut, not to be argumentative. Expand a little bit of this, and and, then can it be misunderstood? Because I think whenever you talk about men... That are the nice guy image or effeminate. It's easy to misconstrue that with temperament, with personality. You're talking about a spirit here. You're talking about an an attitude, aren't you?
0: Yes, I think so. Because I think you know fundamentally we we view the church as constantly in retreat mode, and um, yet the culture continues to move forward in expansion. And so I think we have to fundamentally understand. I think our eschatological view that, you know, we are marching onward to Zion. We should be looking upward and forward. How do we expand Christ's kingdom functionally in my life and every single day? So we have real purposes in our life. I think what has happened is this idea of real manhood is just being not offensive. And so anything that sounds Mm. mildly offensive must be toxic in and of itself. Right. And so what ends up happening is we, we, we make decisions based on who it will offend the least. And we, we, we judge that by did anyone get offended or not get offended, which actually contradicts exactly what the scriptures say when Jesus says, you know, woe to you if all men think well of you. Well, the problem is you can create a world like that. We've got a ton of churches where these pastors, everybody speaks well of them and that you realize real Preaching real holding the truth is not just merely saying positive things about Jesus, but it's also destroying and tearing down the strongholds. It necessarily fights against, you know, the battles. So you get these churches and these men that they're uh, just constantly taking in whatever the culture says is the norm. And so a few years ago, you know, it was, um, uh, you know, uh, big buildings and budget and a lot of bodies. Well, now it's social justice and critical race theory because we're not saying no to anything. And I think the problem is we're afraid to do that because it might offend yeah, somebody. Yeah, I or was just going we're, we're to say we're,
2: yeah, we're afraid to say no because of the the threat of offending. Dan, you, you added something similar in, in an email. Uh, you wrote this, there's a need for a biblical manhood that fights evil, protects good, gets angry at the right things. Noble, notably, lack of manly behavior is tied to a denial of the image of God, and you cite Romans 1 through 3. It so happens that lack of leadership in the home, uh, lack of sexual pursuit in marriage, and lack of doctrinal teaching are tied together. Um, that, that's, that's loaded. It's awesome. Uh, expand on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, uh, fundamentally here is, uh, is our view of God and how it affects uh, our view of both manhood and the image of God. And so, uh, one thing I always, I uh, like to point out is that in scripture, we, we have teaching of both God's transcendence, that he is wholly other and his eminence, that he, God is om- omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's, um, he's all these things and he is with us. Um, and so what we've noticed, and this is, might be beyond what most people are interested in, but, uh, the, uh. Out of the Enlightenment, there was this view of the universe as a closed mechanism that came about through Newton. Uh, Immanuel Kant wrote about it from an uh, epistemological perspective, and they essentially ruled out any idea that God could reveal himself in the world. And that caused a very weak view of God. And out of that, we, we got theological liberalism uh, by way of Friedrich Schleiermacher and some others where they essentially say, well, I know things about God by my feelings. They believed that God was too weak to reveal himself in the world um, in fact they kind of believed that god was kind of sort of part of the world and that was what classical liberalism brought about a whole lot of stuff there if it's not what you're interested in that's okay but understanding that this whole view comes from a weak understanding of god thinking that he's not strong enough to reveal himself not strong enough to make a world in which he could reveal himself um, and so as a result the authority Uh, is one's self and their feelings about God and about the universe. And that's how they, quote unquote, know things. And so as Eric aptly pointed out, then the greatest sin is hurting someone's feelings. Because if I am the supreme authority and you disagree with me, it, it is akin to violating scripture. Right, and so, but all of this comes out of a very low view of God and His Word. Conversely, when we recognize, and a little side note, Einstein's theory of relativity and and some other really interesting things, epistemologically, the the science of the universe actually supports the biblical worldview very well. Um, people don't realize that. There's a whole thing. Read my thesis another time. Uh, however. If we recognize that, hey, this is the God of creation who is strong enough to reveal himself, and whatever he says is true, his word is true. And so if I begin with a high view of God and a high view of his word, and I trust that, then the ultimate good is that I obey that word. And the worst thing I could do is offend the holy God who has revealed himself in his word, and in creation. And so the, the game changes then for the true manly man who says, this is what God has said, and the best thing I can do is trust him and obey that word and enforce that word. And um, so I would say this is, it's, 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 it's no coincidence that when people have a low view of God and a weak view of God that they become weak men as a result.
2: And this is this is why uh, you saw during, it, it's interesting how things happen in waves, and a lot of these things will emerge again, I think, in the next months, because we, we tend to get distractions to uh, our, our interest in things culturally. But the whole, you know, tolerance, uh, re- more recently, social justice, uh, equity, um, it, it was fascinating to me to see two responses from the church, and uh, Dan, you're, you know, yours and my denomination that we were particularly interested in how there was a, a quick reaction that I don't think we would have seen 10, 15 years ago of, uh, of speaking to it in a, in a, you know, in the name of compassion, uh, but not speaking against it. Um, and so you're, you're suggesting there that that Christians giving in feeling like they need to make statements um, come come out of a a a particular view of God that that's the place to start, um, and I you know I mean my picture of what Christ did was he he crashed into this world you know where it talks about in Colossians where he he disarmed the uh, the devil and and took away from him the power over death I mean that is a a, 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 a angry aggressive. Uh, justice, we're going to make this right, um, you know, that's, that's where it starts, doesn't it?
1: I would say so. And then while there's multiple things along the way and there's very specific things we can address, um, it is critical that we begin with this issue of who is God. Um, mm. and, and as you mentioned, the equal theory comes in. It is, again, uh, and to, to Eric's point, that's just subjectivism on steroids. That mm-hmm. is, is the individual, not even an individual, it's the, it is the, the, the person themselves thinking that their feelings are, are king and that they're trying to decide how oppressed they are. That, that how, how crazy that part of critical theory is the, the winner, <laughs> the one who deserves the most respect is the one who is the biggest victim. And um, that absolutely contrary to any biblical view of manhood or any just general basic understanding of humanity um, and is absent of any standard. It is only designed, if you're familiar with critical theory, especially by way of the Frankfurt School, um, so many times, you know, critical theory is is taught as if it's a fact when it's in fact a theory. And what's particularly interesting is that it is not at all rational. Um, aspects of critical theory believe that, uh, that logic and math, even this sounds crazy, but they believe that it is inherently racist. it's, it's completely bizarre. And so you cannot have a logical reasoned discussion because they won't win it. So they have to begin with their belligerence to force through a view based on, Hey, this is what I feel. And, um, yeah, this is what brings us into the next thing is, um, you know, historically, we've been able to have rational thought, we've been able to debate, we've been able to bring about evidence and information, and, and Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Uh, a person who does not begin with fear of the Lord, does not begin with a high view of God, does not have a foundation for their knowledge. And so what ends up happening is we're not in a position where we get to debate with the critical theorist, mm. um, and so our tactic has to be a little bit different. Not that we shouldn't be logical and rational, but I think this kind of brings us to a bigger issue of this is not about playing nice anymore. Yeah,
2: well, let's, we're we're going to get into the more me of this, Dan. You yeah. um, or Eric, you you remind me of the college student raising his hand, eager to make a yeah. point. So go ahead.
0: <laughs> I, I, and I think what it what it does, and I, I want to say what Daniel just said is It's an excellent point. It's very crucial. I, because what it does is an up and see. The problem is that by adopting these faulty worldviews, you don't become less angry. You actually just repress good yes, anger. If that yes. makes sense. And so, yeah, absolutely, what ends up happening is you adopt these, and it's all about self-survival, right? You know, I'm going to survive by either being a victim or by placating that mentality in somebody else. But it ultimately becomes self-destructive. I think. We are given, as God's image bearers, the knowledge of what right and wrong is. I mean, I think the Bible talks about we have a conscience. And, you know, in Romans 1, what they're doing is they're basically, you know, and it, it, it talks about what sin does in a society in one sense. It builds and builds as people um, who, uh, uh, whose consciences are violated by God. They don't go to God's word. They know what's right, and they refuse to do it. Ah, uh, based on God's natural revelation, His general revelation, uh, His general law, and then Scripture. Um, and then what happens is you 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 placate that again and again, and you 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 protect the feelings of man, and then you codify the feelings of man, and then you make them into law, and it creates chaos. And I think the problem is, is that as human beings, we're constantly looking for justice because the world is not right. You know, the social theory, all these critical race theory, they have an alternative gospel story. But I think what happens in the problem is that anger becomes, instead of dealing with my own guilt before the Lord, instead of agreeing with God that I, am, I should be angry at myself for what I've done, it says, no, I'm righteous by virtue signaling being angry at this group or angry at somebody else and so we don't we don't end anger we just we just hide it and and we become more angry and it's ultimately a self destructive thing if that makes sense or something yeah and and
2: for anger. for the believer who is is motivated by the gospel who has a high view of god it, it's uh, you're talking about suppressing it it it's also frustrating uh because we're we're being told even by the church we're not allowed to speak uh yes. to this Yes. and uh And again, what we're hoping to do here is to encourage uh, it' it's, it's it's required that we speak to this it's part of the gospel message that part of the gospel message is not just that you're rescued from from sin but that there is and we'll 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 delve into this in just a little bit that there is still god 's wrath god 's response to sin and and we we join that we're uh we're we're frustrated and angered by the evil that we see around us. And, and it, I guess uh, you know, just to kind of wrap up this point, and then um, that if you, it, it almost, if you, if you concede to these things, social justice, critical race, and I wish we had time to define those terms, um, our view of God has to drop. You know, we need, we need to give up some of those, uh, uh, you know, positions that we have of the attribute of God Give us examples from the Bible, maybe even historically. I mean, I think of Luther as a guy who, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he maybe crossed the line sometimes and you hear stories of him having a temper, which is not what we're talking about here. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, in, in scriptural examples where there's been this, this right kind of anger that, uh, that's motivated by the gospel, by, that's, you know, that comes out of a high view of God and God's word. Uh, there's several things I think we could
1: point to. Uh, first of all, if you just Google verses on hate or verses on wrath, mm-hmm. um, there's, actually, there's actually some significant things there. Um, we, of course, have um, Psalm 9710, you who love the Lord hate evil. Uh, he protects the lives of godly people and rescues them from the power of the wicked. Uh, that's, that's language of defense. That's language of hating evil, rescuing the good. Uh, Romans 12, nine, abhor what is evil, uh, cleave to what is good. Proverbs 13, five, the righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Uh, Proverbs eight thirteen, 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Um, the, there's, Plenty of things like this. Um, We even see where in Psalms, um, and I'm blanking out on which one it is, but where David talks about, I hate the evildoers. He's specifically talking about. There you go. Specifically referring to hating evil people.
2: Wait, we're not to hate the sin and love the sinner?
1: No, no, this is, what's interesting, it's, uh, it's it, God says I'm, I'm not supposed to hate my brother, but um, there is place for hating evil. No, I, I would say that in, in some context, like I'm, I generally want to have, you know, the desire to share the gospel with the lost and even the wicked, I want to share the, the good news of the gospel with, sure. but um, the reality is I, I, I would be hating my family. If I allowed a wicked man to come in and cause harm to my family, and in the name of me not hating him, uh, I don't fight him, I don't use lethal force to stop him, and he proceeds to rape and murder my family. That would be me hating my family. Uh, and so I, I'm strongly asserting that there is a need to hate evil um, in the context of God's righteous judgment that we look at what his word says and we use his law, uh, not critical theory, not uh, public opinion, not cultural trends, but the law of God to say, this is what is good. And this is what is evil. Um, And there are plenty of things in scripture that God, uh, God actually has the death penalty for, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, We should take it seriously that, that God commands killing rapists in the old Testament. He commands, Commands certain things that involve the use of force and wrath, and I'm not advocating use of force force against bad doctrine, but I am I am advocating for for hating what is evil, speaking sternly against false doctrine, uh, blocking it in every way possible, uh, and when it comes to the the wicked actions that cause harm, men, let's look to the law of God. We we might even need well, to use even
2: even force. Um, yeah. I was listening to a talk a few days ago, even false teaching false prophets in the old testament uh, the, the command was to execute them the yeah. new testament is to excommunicate them and, and we're going to talk, we're gonna talk in a little bit about what how, how we apply all of this within the church yeah. but uh, eric go ahead
0: and, and why is that it, it's because we're not gnostic people meaning we don't get to separate bad ideas from real harm on real people yeah. Yeah. so i think you know even the context to say what Daniel said, which I think is just so excellent to bring up these points, the context of Psalm 139, the context is it's the passage I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, then all of a sudden you get to the end of it. And he said, oh, that you would slay the wicked. O men of blood depart from me. They speak to you with malicious intent. Do not, I hate those who hate you, O Lord. Well, I think what we have to come to the fundamental realization is we are not Gnostic people. We are body, soul, and spirit. And yet false teaching harms real people. Yeah, and the real justice needs to be when, whenever I speak the truth, and rebuke sin or rebuke bad teaching, I am doing God's will, and yet it is really protecting real people. It is bringing real justice to the god that they may understand justice that they may actually cry out for mercy and receive grace but you know so so again i always wonder you're like why did god command him them to 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 kill rapists but also kill false teachers Was it because he's just arbitrary and capricious and he just wants to show us that he's boss or or is that real like is there real logic to what god did and and i think it's absolutely right that i think we've seen this that how many of us you know, Daniel, it's see for you. And I think you and I are similar. Like, why do we not just disagree in part with the new critical race theory, but we actually hate it? Because we've seen what destruction. Not only does that rot on society, but to the assurance of real Christians. It, it causes them to go down a path where their entire world is shifted, their entire basis for truth. So they're no longer coming to God for mercy and grace. They're coming to God as a therapist for affirmation.
2: Well, let me, let me um, ask you guys so, this,
0: just to make the
2: conversation fair to those who uh, have, have maybe out of ignorance, naivety, responded sure. to social justice. What, what, is the, what, what is the appropriate way to respond to injustice around us? Uh, that is not just, oh, I'm angry when people are mistreated. The, you know, this is the gospel. I mean, how, how, can, how can people live, particularly believers, uh, who, who are reacting, seeing culture react, uh, and, and feel like, well, yeah, it's appropriate. I mean, I've even had this conversation with a family member that, uh, you know, about socialism. It's like, well, G- Jesus cared about the poor. Jesus cared about people who were uh, disadvantaged.
0: Uh, what, what's the balance there? You have to, We have to understand the law of God and that the law of God really is a social law. It really does matter that God actually didn't just say, obey me, but then he showed us in Ten Commandments, along with a number of other case mm. studies in the Old Testament, how we actually are to do that. So, mm. I mean, we actually can understand real justice and what real injustice is, but it has to come from Uh, Trembling Before God's Word, Isaiah 66, that actually believing God actually knows best. And he actually, like Daniel said, he's actually revealed himself in Scripture. Like, we don't have to invent these things. And in fact, it's quite dangerous to invent these things. Mm -hmm. But I think also when we do that, then we take the totality of Scripture. So, for example, James 4 warns us that sometimes anger is really a self... We we can get angry for the right reasons in the wrong way, or we can get angry for the wrong reasons. Like what's causing fights and quarrels amongst you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You know, so you fight and murder and kill. So I think the law of God and the word of God actually shows us one, what is true. And then when we need to repent of of being angry for the wrong reasons or in the wrong way.
2: So you can be compassionate, Dan, and angry at the same time. Certainly so. Uh, Actually a good example. We we had to put someone
1: under church discipline uh, not long ago who had done Great wickedness and um, I'm heartbroken for him. Um, we still executed the church discipline um, and, yes. and I still grieve for him uh, He will be he's, he's going to trial soon for what he mm-hmm. has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not take back the church discipline um, he will probably weep. Uh, I will grieve for him and yet mm-hmm. I will not shrink back from the church discipline that we are putting forth.
2: And, can and it doesn't mean that you're not burdened for him, that you don't care deeply for him. In fact, that's that's why you exercise discipline, because yeah. Yeah. you're concerned about his soul and his...
1: Yeah, I want him to repent lest
0: yeah. he perish. Yes. And can I Brilliant. add to that, Daniel? I presume part of it, too, for you, too, is it's, it's not merely about the man. There's justice for the rest of the congregation, too. Absolutely. Right, to allow yeah. sin to fester in the congregation or to ignore it or to redefine it would be fundamentally cruel to the rest of the congregation right. once it's become a public nature that they've um, I don't in one sense I don't like church discipline either in the immediate sense but I recognize doing it the right way fundamentally brings peace and justice to our congregation right. and yep. failing to do it in the right way only stirs up it, it has long term consequences so I think it's it's fundamentally cruel, self-destructive, not only to the man himself, but to everybody else around him.
1: Absolutely. I would because say it is especially so.
0: Well, yeah, because we actually, when we do churches, when we functionally say, listen, there's an actual penalty and we're, there's an ending of this process. Well,
1: and and I would say the uh, my last church, uh, I was... Uh, I I was knowledgeable uh, as they hired, I think I mentioned before, hired a guy who had sexually harassed multiple women. Um, Women in the community came forward to me saying, how could you guys do this? Of course, I had fought to keep him from getting hired. I eventually lost my job because I wouldn't cover up his sexual harassment. It was a big mess. Um, But it was interesting, all of the harm, not just within the church, but within the community, there were uh, you know battered women groups that were like he 's harmed all these women and that and so what what it did to the testimony of the church, uh, what it did in, in just a smack in the face to those women that he'd harmed, um, all those kinds of things, whereas justice properly enacted allows people to say what a good God God is and how and, what, and I always point out like in you know in Deuteronomy, one of the purposes of the law or might have been in exodus i 'm sorry was that other countries, other nations would look at God's people and say, man, what a just God they have, yeah. Yeah. right? And yes. what is, what is yes. the argument yes. that gets yes. brought up so much yes. against Christianity is they're like, you Christians are just like everybody else, and you let all this wicked stuff happen, and, of course, all of the sex scandals and all the things going on. Um, and I always point out our own denomination failed to properly discipline Ravi Zacharias, and we are paying for it right now. Um, the church even beyond was paying for it because they wouldn't do what was necessary. And um, I'm furious about it. Um, I have seen firsthand, I've had to counsel people in my office. I have seen women who were abused because someone got allowed to continue uh, in their sinful behavior and the church wouldn't, wouldn't enact discipline.
2: I I love how um, that's right. in In the old Testament, in fact, there's an old Testament example, new Testament example, because uh, God only needs to do thing, something one time for us to get the point. And you have Achan, uh, who who stole and hid uh, the spoils, and uh, he, w- he was killed for that. His family were, were killed for that. And the reaction was to be in awe of God. Uh, you know, the, the a high view of reverence for God was the reaction to carrying out the law. And the same with Ananias and Sapphira, when they held back, you know, from... Uh, from the information of Peter, what was the reaction of the church? They were in, in awe of God. That 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 I think is 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 clearly stated there. Um, so I, I let, we're going to talk a little bit more about what this looks like in the church. But Dan, I love your connection. I just want to make one more point about the theology of this. You you mentioned that we need to communicate uh, the idea of anger, wrath, justice as tied to the atonements. And then you also say that without wrath and atonement, there'd be no gospel. What do you mean by that?
1: Uh, Well, there's several things going on there. Uh, First of of all, we we have in Romans 1, 16 and 17, when Paul is setting forth the theme of Romans, which of course is the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. Um, uh, Right after that, in verse 18, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, That the gospel is good because the wrath of God is a real thing. And the wrath of God is a real thing because God is just. And when we violate his justice, when we disobey his law, it needs punished. Uh, And and so the fact that in, in the atonement, Jesus took that punishment for the believing, he allowed the wrath of God to be poured out on him, which notably is the uncomfortable thing that the squishy evangelists don't want to talk about. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the new American gospel uh, documentary, Christ Crucified. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. fundamental to the, the quote unquote progressivists and, now, and what I would call the apostates is that they hated the idea that God was going to punish sin they're like, I don't get that, and blah, 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 blah. Why would God do that? And I'm thinking, like, why would God not do that? Like, I, when I look at justice, I'm like, I want somebody to to die for this evil. Yes, um, I, I, and then I start realizing I deserve to die for my evil. Yeah, yeah. And so then all the, the greatness of the gospel matters all the more. But at the same time, I get to look at the person who has been abused or the person who has been otherwise harmed and say, that sin will be judged yeah. either that sin was paid for by Christ on the cross, or that person is not going to believe, is not a believer, and they will perish in hell under the wrath of God forever. Be comforted either way, because justice is is there.
2: Now, the gospel and, um, doesn't, the for the gospel person doesn't who... allow us to the gospel doesn't allow us to say someone else deserves it more than me. In fact, we're we're always overwhelmed that we had it not been for Christ, that would be us.
0: You, you know, I think too that there is a There's an eschatological end times nature of the gospel, too, that Jesus Christ really did physically live and die, but he rose again. You know, the new way that we view things, let's just say it's social justice or critical theory, there's no atonement, but there's no justice. There's no end to this. The cross of Christ really did not uh, atone for all of sin and did not appease all of sin. So when we When we actually do church discipline, when we do, like Daniel was saying, uh, you know, when we call out things, we actually can say, you know what? We can move on from this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, as a Christian, we're no longer facing the cross anymore. We're facing, we're in the resurrected life facing Mm -hmm. eternity. We're going further up and further in. What I look at, and some of these critical race theory stuff, all it does is it brings you back before the cross and say, what do I need to make myself right before God? It's a, just a, another form of pharisaical legalism. But the problem is, is that there's no end to it. There's no finished work of Jesus. I've got to add to it. So you don't end up, you have no moral clarity to ever handle just situations well. Like, you know, Daniel, we've done church discipline. Part of the, the fruit of that is to be able to tell our congregation, listen, we're closing the door on this. We've done what we can. We're moving forward as much as God tells us we can. But like you said, what we're doing is we are leaving this to the justice of God. What God has said we are able to do, we're finished with. And now, as a church, we move forward. We're not going to continue to, you know, second guess or question this or things like this. We can say no. We actually can can grow from this, and 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 we're saddened by it, but we're hopeful also.
2: Wanted to. Talk a little bit here about the upcoming uh, generation or current generation that is really making up our our culture it's even i you know i I think one of the things I keep thinking about these are our future leaders in the church uh, and and this is this is very simplistic it's maybe over generalizing to say that this generation doesn't know or has not been taught how to argue how how to debate, how to confront. An example, real quick, Uh, uh, before the election, I was at a baby shower and there was a young couple there that were uh, related to the family. I did not know them. They're in their early 20s and somehow we we started talking about uh, politics. And I asked them this question. I said, do you guys ever get together, your peers, and, and, and really conflict over this? Do you guys debate this stuff? And they said, oh, no, we just do that on social media if we did it face to face we would offend the other person <laughs> and that was that was really revealing to me um how how can that change what will it take and and maybe part of that discussion needs to be uh have we lost our boldness as pastors uh you know towards sin even towards culture um now of course if this you know if people are not in church not hearing hard strong biblical gospel then you know, I believe that's where it changes, but reflect a little bit on, on your burden there. Um, Dan, why don't you start?
1: Yeah, so I, I would say uh, there's so many things there, of course. Uh, one is they're, they're, they, they have a false understanding there. My experience is that people get less offended when I speak to them directly in person. And we'll mm-hmm. have heated discussion, but uh, those things tend to go less poorly. Uh, And so, no, I mean, there's been some difficult ones. There's no question. Uh, The other thing I would say is this goes back to the Proverbs nine ten. You know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge, wisdom. Without a rational foundation, you can't really have discussion anyway. Um, And we have churches, unfortunately, that have been providing glorified self help sermons, uh, sometimes just straight false teaching, and have never really catechized children. And so, you know, part of what we're doing in catechism, we teach definitions and clarity. Mm. Um, We're creating categories in the mind so that people understand things and and can distinguish between error and truth. And in discussion, then I can... Define terms. I can say, wait a minute, you said this. Do you mean that or this? Because if you mean that, well, then we disagree. But if you mean this, and the person who has been properly catechized, even outside of the realm of theology, your ability to think and draw distinctions between things allows you to engage in real conversation, because you believe that words have meaning, that they're tied to real things. Uh, But when not even churches have been catechizing, and certainly not schools, uh, or you could argue they're catechizing into something else, they're certainly not allowing for there to be a clarity of thought and a rationality because it's not based on the fear of the lord as the beginning of wisdom the beginning of knowledge and, and, and so we would,
2: would call we would call for families to start at home start with your children start with
1: Absolutely your children we older.
2: we do family worship we
1: teach catechism regularly uh, yeah. we read the word of god we teach catechism we sing a hymn we pray um, on a regular basis nearly daily Um, Of course, we also do catechisms with the kids at church. There's plenty of things we do. And not that it has to just be catechism, but the idea of teaching doctrine and the clarity that comes with it. Uh, Eric mentioned rightly earlier that there is a science to theology. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a way in which we're approaching God as he has revealed himself. We actually call it theological science at times that we're studying him objectively as he has revealed himself. Um, it looks a little bit different than the physical sciences, but the idea is that there is an approach. There's a clarity to it. Um, and I would say that's fundamental here. Uh, we've got to teach that. Um, and unfortunately we're, much of our culture is so far from it
2: and, um, and teach uh, our children to withstand this as likely the culture will continue to go this direction you know i think that's yeah. the that's that's the reality yeah. eric
0: your thoughts on that so I actually, I concur with absolutely everything Daniel says. We, Daniel, it's amazing how minds think alike, right? That <laughs> sounds exactly what we're trying what to do is. in our church. Well, that's right. That's a, why, that's a, why yeah. I asked you, guys, you guys don't know each other, but I know each of you. So I fundamentally, a, a couple things that I have fundamental hope for, and, and again, I'm going to throw a few of these things together. One, as uh, a churches, I think we're, we're in a time where we realize we don't have time to mess around anymore. Um you know and also there there really at least in the coming days, there really is no such thing for a lot of mega church programming. So churches are either gonna be incredibly irrelevant and irreverent, or churches are gonna have to really be lean and clear. And part of when you're lean and clear is you realize, you know what? We may not be able to meet very often. I don't have, there's a lot of pressure not to meet. So I'm going to maximize what I can do. And I'm hoping to pray in the law church to start reforming in the sense of let's start teaching the basics of the Christian faith, catechizing, teaching from the confessions, giving them a big picture of how to think critically. But here's my hope in this. I actually have a lot of hope. Our younger kids know how to do peacemaking a lot better than I do. I've had to learn the hard way. Mm. I've had to learn to deal with my anger as an adult, having been catechized in generic pietistic evangelicalism, if that (laughs) makes sense, where, you know, really it's, it's God is there to give you good feelings and is there to, he's there for you, but you get catechized with the world's ideas and, Uh, Because of that, I I engaged in in a lot more sin than I hope my children do. And God has been merciful to me, but it's been a painful lesson. Mm. Well, my kids, when we're starting to think, and I hope teach them critically, we're also teaching them how to peacemake, how to make peace with themselves. I I mean, through God, uh, what justice looks like, but also how to make peace with their brothers and sisters. So, for example, for me, um doing the right thing in the last 15 years has required me to face my own fears a lot. And that's the fear of man, because I spent a number of years placating in the fear of man, catechizing myself in the fear of man. So only doing the things that would make myself look good and minimize uh, any sort of critique. And so for me, you know, I've had to face my own worst fears every time I've had to do the right thing or speak the right thing. Now it's gotten easier over the years in some sense, but I'm hoping and praying for a younger generation that, I mean, if we're going to get serious about that, I've already seen my children don't have nearly the insecurities about being rejected that I did, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. they, I hope that they're growing up in a home where they're saying, yeah, mom and dad, I hope, I hope we're living. But also, uh, you know, part of uh, catechizing people is we're teaching them how to abide in the Lord, how to wrestle with their own hearts, how to deal with their own anger. You know, what I would say to people is, listen, you're going to be afraid. That goes with obedience. The first battle is your own, your own heart. But doing the right thing is, is how we deal with anger. It's how we deal with this. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I've got yeah, a no, much it's more right. hopeful vision for it. Does. It's,
2: yeah, I love it. I love how you're talking about that happening within the family context and.
0: I want to add to that
1: really quickly, um, just as a matter of concurrence. I think God has has forged Eric and I together theologically, and I'm gonna I'm gonna blame 1689 London Baptist Confession on that. Um, here's so my, here's uh, my what I right have noticed. Uh, <laughs> nice. So a real quick side note: we're using the new City Catechism app yeah. to, to do, which is Westminster, right? I need somebody to make an app. For, um, that that allows me to teach in kid language the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Right now, I've just got Westminster in New City. Um, so, oh, yeah. All right.
0: Hulse, a catechism for boys and girls is quite good from Chapel Library. So, All right. We'll put uh, we'll uh, Eric showed something on video here. Not, <laughs> this is good. But, but I digress. <laughs> the,
1: so um, oh, one of the things I was going to mention, uh, and and this might be somewhat controversial, but, I am I'm of the persuasion so many uh, big evangelical churches, small evangelical churches, do not have elders. They do not function with church discipline. Mm-hmm. They've not been teaching uh, accurate scripture. They've not been catechizing. Uh, they've not been discipling. And I would, I would actually assert that in, in such way they're not churches. And so I, um, I have just recently begun, for, for the longest time, when somebody was having trouble in their church and whatever, and things were bad and whatever, and I would say, oh, just kind of trains from the inside, you know, just try to influence there. And I saw so many people, their families were shipwrecked. And similar to this protection thing we were talking about, where uh, a wife would say, Why aren't you protecting us from this mess of a church? And in his mind, he's being noble by being nice and staying a little longer and trying harder. Um, I am absolutely advocating now that if your church is not teaching faithful doctrine, if it is not allowing you to have a real meeting right now with singing as we're commanded to do, with greeting one another, with breaking bread together, with all of those things, then you need to confront your pastor, cite scripture, cite Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, and the command to meet, hold fast to the hope of the gospel and all that. And if he does not Re- immediately repent and begin having good biblical meetings with good biblical teaching, then you need to leave because that is not a church. Yes. Um, I, and I, I, I've used the illustration a couple of times. We do a lot of fires out in our fire pit because we have people over for this Saturday evening, get together. And um, usually the coals in the fire pit are burning the hottest about the time that everybody has to go. Right. Cause we've got that thing cooked down. Well, so rather than waste all the wood, I spread out those coals and they cool down and they go out and I think about how many good faithful Christians mm. are in unchurches, and they are continually fighting a battle against apostate pastors, against weak doctrine, and they're weary. Their kids are not, they're not under good shepherding, because it's not qualified elders leading them. Uh, they're not uh, allowing their families to be discipled in a good faithful church. They're not hearing good doctrine. They're hearing bad doctrine, and they're just like good hot coals that are being continually cooled by their isolation from the other faithful Christians and also by the just continual quenching of the spirit in Mm. false teaching. Mm. And so I would say brothers and sisters in those churches, confront your pastor. He's probably not going to listen, but do him that service and, and confront him from scripture and then get the heck out of that church and find some faithful Christians. Uh, We have no more time to waste. For crying out loud, it's been seven months of most churches have not been meeting. People are shipwrecked in their faith. There is death and depression and terrible things, (laughs) and there's bending the knee to Caesar in ways that should only be bent to God. And so I am advocating, leave, join the real church, get yourself out of those false churches. No more playing nice, no more trying hard to get them to change. They're not going to change. Confront them and then get the heck out of there. You can contact Mitch and I. We'll try to help you find a good church. We'll plant a house church with you. We'll do whatever we can do. We'll try. It's not easy. Um, (laughs) <laughs> it is not easy. Well, and here's what I would say. This yeah. is where the, the house church movement has been helpful of late. Um, I, this is a side note, but um, we still have all the things you're supposed to do as a church and we're we're reformed. And, uh, but it's, it's pretty inexpensive to plant a church. And so we have our team of elders that if somebody comes along and they're like, you know, we got this Bible study. We're, we can't be a part of our church anymore, but we, we, these are faithful people who want to disciple, want to be discipled. And I'll say, all right, come under our headship, and we'll, we'll provide elder oversight while one of our elders disciples uh, one or two guys in your house church up into eldership. And um, we provide training, we provide teaching, but um, uh, people are coming out of the woodwork that what they want to do is obey Hebrews 10, um, as well as Matthew 28 and i am excited about that it's going to be a small number of people but um yeah and then there's also some good faithful churches out there like there are still some faithful ones that are meeting quietly disobeying bad orders and obeying the the promises of god yeah
2: yeah definitely And your your neck of the woods that's a, that's more of a reality than it is down here in georgia so we need to be reminded that a, a lot of the church in america is being is living under this this pressure Um, yeah, we're going to need to wrap up, uh, any, any final thoughts? So this has been uh, just a great conversation and, and challenging. And I think it's been very balanced as well. Um, you know, just reminding us again of, uh, again, the whole purpose here was to talk about the right kind of anger uh, that comes out of the gospel. So any, any final thoughts as we wrap up?
0: You know, I, I I do in the sense of, I concur with everything that Daniel said. I think that we started out, talking about anger and i think probably the presumption is we were it was going to be kind of a talk about the psychology of anger how it deals with right. it, and our soul infestors but i'm with daniel the way that you deal with anger is by doing the right thing if that makes sense so i would say i would concur with everything that daniel says and i don't think it can be said strongly enough if your church is not meeting right now it's not a church and but i would i would also concur with what daniel says i'm just going to reemphasize that The way that you leave with a clean conscience is you grow in discernment and know what you're confronting and what the truth is. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably, if when you grow in discernment, you'll realize you know what your church was on this trajectory a long time. It just took a a a, a tiny bit of pressure from the society and government to get you to stop meeting at all. And then what you have to do is you leave with a clean conscience by dealing with it, confronting it. That's your responsibility as a Christian. But then also. You know, if you've won them over, praise be to the Lord. And if you haven't, then I w- I'm with Daniel. You know, you you can't mess around anymore. You can't you can't model to your children. Oh, we, the church really matters while we're waiting for marching orders and haven't met seven months in a row. Mm-hmm. They're going to be catechized with something. So, but I think that that is the whole thing. Is that's how we deal with anger rightly? Mm-hmm. Is we do the right thing. We have to face. You know, I, rem- I remember the illustration from the old uh, mini the band of brothers. I don't know if you guys ever remember. Oh, yeah. it, but, uh, Evan, I was reading something on it. And one of the guys said that one of his grandkids said to him, grandpa, what was it like to be fearless all the time? And he said to him, he said, fearless, what are you talking about? Hmm. We were scared all the time. We were terrified, but we had a job to do. And I look at that and go, I think that's what, what anger looks like is hmm. I, I say sin is wrong. Righteousness is Right. I do the little steps of obedience each and every day. I have to know what God expects of me and from his word. And, and that's how I best deal with anger. Does make real, sense? There's a real enemy out there
2: that we're fighting.
0: Correct. It's self-focused, defeated men are angry men, but they just, they they, they, they display their anger in very self-destructive yeah. and church-destructive yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, good. So, so, maybe to wrap it up too, I want to say it's actually the, the passive man that we had talked about at the beginning, you know, this effeminate man. Mm -hmm. I found that some of these guys are the most angry men I've ever been with. Mm Yeah. Just What you do is they put on the happy face until they're pushed into a corner. And then all of a sudden they break all the rules of what you expected from them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me to be a righteous man is to recognize, yeah, truth, Mm -hmm. error, Mm -hmm. do the right thing. Repent of sin continually. Um, Bailey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Bailey, yeah
1: you final right. um, no, just, just agreement with Eric. Um, the, we're, we're in a, in a, in an interesting, well, interesting as a software. I need to not say that. We are in a devilish time. Mm. Uh, the, there has been, the enemy has taken all kinds of ground. We are, we are past parlay with the enemy. We're, we're in a place where this is, we have to be bold, mm. um, break the law if necessary to meet with okay. your church. Um, obey God rather than men uh, Recognize maybe there needs to be A good teaching on the various uh, Realms of authority And that how they need to stay in their lane uh, The yeah, I, I joked the other day that like one one of our house churches is in a state where the mandates are particularly harsh, and we're going to be breaking the law there. That like, that is our plan. We're going to mm. we're breaking the mandate, and so I'm like, you know, there, this governor is writing mandates about how to run my church. I think I might write him a mandate about how he's supposed to run the government. Mm. Um, essentially, mm. say stay in your lane. Like you you do not have authority in the church, governor. Um, and so anyway, I would say be of Romans 13, as well as the rule of Acts 529. Where do we obey the government? Where do we flagrantly disobey in order to yeah, obey God yeah. rather than men? And I would say in, in all of this, there's there's going to... And I would say similarly in your churches, issues of uh, you don't just play nice and say, well, this is my pastor and whatever he says, I just got to obey. Well, no, if he's outside of the word of God, he is no longer in a position of authority in regards to those things. We need to understand where those divisions are between obeying yeah, God and yeah. obeying men and when we should do both. Um, and when we have to always choose God. Yeah. Obey men.
2: All right, guys, we're running out of time. Thank you so much. Uh, both of you. This was a, a loaded, uh, but I, I think very, very productive conversation. I, I appreciate your, your boldness. <clears throat> you, you both kept saying you agreed with each other, which, uh, you know, I was yeah. hoping for a little bit of debate and disagreement here, but maybe we'll have to, Try to push a little harder <laughs> next
1: time. Hard to find that when we're confessing. When we're confessing, that's that's true, brother.
2: Yeah. That, <laughs> so anyway, thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank You're you. You're
0: welcome. Blessings.
2: Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this particular podcast episode. Uh, I'd love for you to chime in on what we talked about today with Pastor Dan and Pastor Eric. So if you have anything you want to say, questions you might ask, uh, please email me at mitch at quit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.